welcome to today's episode of Strata Originals. As the name implies, we speak with true originals and we take you to the next level. These are leaders who stand out by the lessons and stories they share to inspire us, entertain us, and teach us. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. You can also watch the video podcast of these episodes on YouTube at Strata Originals. So fasten your seatbelts, ensure your tray is in the upright position, and prepare for takeoff. Your in-flight host, Leanne Vicaro. Okay, so welcome to the Strata Podcast today. I'm really excited for our guest, David Savoy. He is currently chairman of Acadia Construction and past president, uh, and also currently on the health board in New Brunswick. Is that right, David? Correct. Correct. So I'm excited to talk today about your thought leadership and the story behind your thought leadership. It was a bit surprising what happened in discovery, you know, being, because all I knew about you was that you were past president and chairman of the board of Acadia Construction. I don't think we knew you were on the health board yet, but Mm -hmm. something kind of surprising happened in that discovery, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And if you're referring to know, earlier in my journey, when I was a little bit younger, um, look, Acadian Construction is on the Atlantic coast uh, in Atlantic Canada, for those of you who know where that is. And, uh, of course, I'm Acadian uh, heritage, so Acadians would be a Francophone population on, on that, that eastern seaboard. And my grandfather started a construction company in 1958, so that's, that's a long time ago, uh, of course, well, things evolved, and my dad took over, and he had four kids, I'm, I'm one of them and uh, did a couple of years engineering, but decided it wasn't for me, maybe not creative enough, maybe just not that energizing. So I I did a switch and went to filmmaking, which is not the norm and uh, did a little bit of uh, working in Los Angeles, New York, and of course learned that part of the world. So that that journey was was excellent. But while I was in uh, LA, got the news that my dad was uh, diagnosed with cancer and fell ill. And of course that was a two year battle back in the late 90s, uh, you know, lived in Boston for some treatment, came back. And uh, at that point in time, you're coming back for the family. You got, you know, one sibling was in the family business. The other two weren't. I would be the middle child out of four, twin sisters and the younger brother. And uh, climbing telephone poles for a few years and wondering what's next for me, what's going to happen. And of course, uh, slowly start going back to school and uh, ended up in the family business in the early 2000s. So uh, that was kind of my journey from filmmaking to working in the family business, which is uh, maybe not the normal route people take. And of course, when I joined, my father had already passed. So our succession plan was, um, I don't know, maybe more of a crisis mode or ad hoc or not planned. It just just happened, which may not be the norm out there. In, in family businesses. Or it might be. It might be. Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So before we go on with the story of the succession planning and how that rolled out and, and what you learned on that journey, um, I want I want our listeners to, to get to know you a little bit. So mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and just sure. with your gut. So if a movie was made of your life, mm-hmm. what genre would it be? And who would play you? Oh, wow. What celebrity would play you? Now, I would say comedy, 
And uh, of course, person can't because they're not alive today, but I would say Robin Williams. Right. Yeah, I, it's funny because when you said that, I was thinking because there's some similarity there. Yeah, I've been told if, you know, look a little bit like them, but yeah, in a comedy type, I, I like to have fun and joke and get people to be not so serious so they can look inside themselves and learn and grow. And comedy is a great way to get to that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what mine would be. Might it be some sort of romantic comedy horror story, I think. <laughs> Yeah, but my favorite type of movie genre would be the, that whole sci-fi, that you know, that, that real-world drama. We have enough, you know, in these times that sometimes you just need to escape. So tell me, is it Robin Williams because he's funny? Robin Williams because he kind of looks like you, or because he's one of your favorite comedians? Uh, I'd say the first two uh, favorite comedians. Ah, oh, that's a tough one. Today I listen to a lot of podcasts, so there are different comedians in that genre. Uh, I do like Tim Dillon, if, for some of you who may know him. I just find that it's just pure comedy in its raw form, and he's doing stuff that most aren't in today's uh, culture or cancel culture or whatever you're calling it. So he'd be the, the guy that gets me to laugh today. But, you know, Eddie Murphy was also in my younger years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the funniest line from Eddie Murphy was, um, I think it was his first um, release. Hilarious. And it, it was when he was in his... Uh, in the bathtub with his brother mm -hmm. and they used to have the gi joes in the water mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's yeah. little gi joe swimming in the water because mm -hmm. he had to like just oh, i remember gas, gas into the water and yeah. it was like and his brother would start to cry i i listened to that part over and over and over again because it made me laugh so much mm -hmm. okay so next question as a child what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I know university. I went into engineering, but that lasted two years. Prior to that, that's a good question. I just think I liked adventure. I was curious. Uh, had a father that was an entrepreneur, a mother that used to be nursing, then did her, uh, I think it was bachelor's degree in commerce, and then worked for my dad. So it was I didn't have, I, I didn't think outside of the day to the day, really. So no, I, I you never wanted to be a fireman or a police nope. officer or no, none of that. Lives. None of that. No, <laughs> that, that's a good question. I'd have to, I don't know. I, I'd be answering of what I think I would have said at the time, but back then I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about making friends, exploring the world, and having fun. But I did go in junior high and high school. I don't know if everybody in the world has those uh, programs where you start a little business in high school and then you try to sell that. No, I forget what they got. Junior cheaters. I was, you know, oh, big into junior cheaters. Yeah. yeah. So I did some of that. So maybe business was aligned for me and I didn't know it. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Because a lot, a lot of little boys will say something like construction or doctor, fireman, policeman, like people who they see as heroes, right? And mm. that's what, what they, I mean, it, it usually 95% of the time changes, but interesting that it was just about being a kid, which is which is a nice thing. Yeah, yeah. I remember my dad telling me during uh, summer break in high school, just enjoy it. Yeah. Once you get out of high school, university, you're not going to have the same lifestyle. So enjoy yourself while you're young and there'll be time for you to go to work. Yeah. 
lots of time for that. Spend the rest of your life working, right? Um, back to your dad. Now, I know that um, your dad had, when you talked about, you know, working in the family business, he had some advice for you, right? Or said he uh, wouldn't hire you. He wanted you to. Oh, yeah. No, he, you know, and I think, I don't know. I've heard other families say, you know, we had the same messages go work outside the family business. You know, sharpen your skill, learn, learn whatever you can in the world, and, and then you can come back. But back then, I mean, I'm my sisters are four years older than me. So one of them was already in line to come into the family business. So it's a little bit more of go out there, span your wings, figure it out. But I do, my uncle told me a story after my dad passed. When you told your father that you were going into filmmaking and not engineering, uh, apparently he cried for like a week, right? So I, th I think in his mind, it was, no, no, David's going to come into the family business. Back then, my dad had two-car dealership, a millwork company, a window company, construction. And so he had a, a bunch of companies. Again, I'm going on my uncle's uh, uh, recollection. He wanted all his four kids to be in one of the companies. I don't know which one would have been mine in the back of his brain. But I know when I was moving to LA, going into film, from what my uncle told me, kind of crushed his heart a little bit. But he's never verbalized that to me while he was alive. So I'm getting that second hand. Yeah, and Jay, who you can't see, we're both in the background as your cheering squad. Hey, film, and mm. you went to LA. <laughs> go, go, go. Um, so, so tell us, okay, so you went, um, you went to LA and you worked for a fairly prestigious um, uh, company there and then you got the news about your dad so tell us about that journey and how that rolled out because you know you come back home you climbed hydro poles for a while you said and mm -hmm. um when you were at school i know that or uh, you kind of were put at the forefront and that's kind of how you found out about yourself that you were the one that people expected to ask the hard questions and get things done right yeah and so so you're probably referring to a story prior to me going into film school i had applied to waterloo university which i think is a pretty prestigious engineering university in canada uh, and i got accepted into the i think it was environmental engineering because i wanted to save the world and make it a greener place and all that fun stuff and it was a co-op program so i had a september to december window that I wasn't going to get any credits. Um, and my dad said, go, go explore the world. So I signed up for a filmmaking course in New York. It was the New York Film Academy back then. I think it was in its early stage. I think there's still something around uh, that that still lives. And there were two cohorts, uh, uh, two cohorts, two classes of well, recollection, 20, 30 people per class, maybe. And uh, of course, the reason you went there is at the end, once you did your little short film, four or five minutes, you could um, show your movie to, at Robert De Niro's private screening room and you know, parents would come and be at graduation. Of course, it was a certificate type school, so everybody passes. And of course, two weeks before where parents are about to arrive, uh, the, 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 I don't know if it's the owner or the president of the school goes, yeah, we switched it. We're not going to Robert De Niro's. We went to the gym down the street. We're gonna put chairs on the floor and put a screen and it's gonna be awesome. And of course, our crash is like, that makes no sense. We're here. We want to go to Robert De screening room. You know, the, the big stars in our eyes. Um, so the 
somebody from the other class was a European uh, gentleman, I forget his name, came to me and said, David, we talked at our class and we voted you to go negotiate with the president or owner and say, that's unacceptable. So we need to go in that room. I'm like, okay, sure. I mean, you see him down the hall, he had a beer or two, but didn't, you know, it's three month class. We didn't spend too much time with that, but that was interesting that the other people saw, okay, we're going to get that guy to go negotiate. And of course, all I did was tell the, all the students do not hand in your film and 24 hours or 48 hours before, they're going to show they're going to start freaking out and of course they're going to have to acquiesce to our demand that we're going there and that i think only three people broke ranks and the rest stood firm and of course we won and ended up being in robert de niro's private screening room so that that was great that was awesome so but and but early on it's funny you know we don't know the things that happen that educate us or make us realize sort of either how other people perceive us or why we're learning to ask the hard mm. questions to do the negotiating, right? Because yeah. so, and and how important that would become. So you get the phone call. So it was after, so then you go to LA after that. Correct. Yeah. And then, um, and then you get the call. So tell us about that journey and then the, um, the success, what you had to do for the succession planning. Yeah. So, so, you know, probably a lot of our entrepreneurs are A-type controlling. And of course, that was my father as well. Um, you know, came from a poor upbringing, remembers when their house actually got uh, the phone line, indoor plumbing, right? So uh, a different lifestyle than we have today with the internet and Zoom and iPhones. So of course, uh, when he was diagnosed, he was a fighter and said, nope, I'm going to be fighting this. The, the doctors had given him two months to live, but he fought for two years, so that would give you a picture of, of the spirit. So we went to Boston for, uh, I forget the hospital, but private health care to make sure I give them the best chance. Uh, I moved to Boston with them and worked for a startup company in the IT world. But after maybe nine months or so, we moved back to, to Canada working on telephone posts. But back then, you have a father thinking of, I need to save my life. I need to save my life, right? So uh, most of the companies, I, from my recollection, maybe did not have succession plans or uh, you know, transition plans. So the two companies we kept with the properties company and of course the construction company that by the time my dad fell ill, my sister, you know, hats off to her, uh, moved from uh, another city to come to Moncton to be there for the family and help run uh, our family company. So um, that was kind of ad hoc, right? It's just, hey, let's plug a family kid in there and keep going. So that was in the early 2000s. Wow. Yeah. And, but you know, I work climbing telephone poles. You do that for two winters, you find motivation to, <laughs> to go back to school and do something else, right? You're top of, this was the old days where you had the you know, the stirrups on your, your, your boots and you had your belt and you would climb manually up the pole, you know, wintering at night in Canada during a few storms, it will motivate you to do something else. I can't even imagine actually. Yeah. You must've been yeah. in great shape though. I was compared to today, a father of three, you know, enjoying a passion for wine, but yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was, it was fun. So at what point did you get into um, the exercise of succession planning? I don't know what dots 
people like to connect. But back when we were in high school, um, my father had properties and my father came to the four kids, I think as a group, but it could have been individually and said, hey, I'm about to build another building. If you guys want to invest, I'll let you invest 5% each. You got to go to the bank and get your own money. Now, I know that the banker, when we showed up, we individually said, yeah, I'll lend you the 5%. Pretty sure my dad had co-signed it in the back, but we didn't know this. We didn't fully understand. He just wanted us to go into motion. But having us do that in high school, I think I was in high school, my sister's in university. I think that's part of succession planning without us realizing it. And maybe him not having a full plan of let's start getting them slowly involved and slowly think about it. That, that could have been the, the seed of it in terms of understanding business and ownership and the risk. But the succession planning in terms of uh, ourselves, our mother ending up owning the shares after my dad passed away. And my sister, I do believe, was the first one to buy some of the shares back. And then I joined. And at some point, look, I could have the years off by a bit, but I'll say mid-2000, 2005, 6, 7. Her advisor said, Angela, mother's name, there's too much risk in you owning shares of a construction company that can make or lose money. So you should sell that. You get two kids in there and, and, and you know, invest it and go low risk. You're not that retired mentality. So I would say we're at about that point in time, we started doing the succession planning. And it's a little bit messy, right? You got two other siblings that are out of it. You don't fully understand the value of the company. Uh, but yeah, we went through some learning years. And then we had a partner, one of my dad's partner retire in the 2010, 2012. Then I had another uh, succession in 2015, 2016, when my sister and the other partner left. So I ended up owning for minority to majority. So I've lived a few succession events from 2003 to today, 2022. And a year and a half ago, I you know, fired myself and hired a president and married and now runs her company. Um, so that could be another type of succession letting somebody else run the day-to-day and, you know, being there strategically at 40,000 feet. But um, so I've, I've, I've done quite a few, interestingly enough, in my 46 years uh, at, at, on this planet. So set the table a bit for us, David. How big is the company? Was the company when all this transition was happening? Yeah, it was in the $150 million range uh, during that transition to Marilou. Um, when my father was around, look, I, you know, somebody may say, oh, no, you were off by a couple, but maybe 20 to 30 million. And then we bought some of the other partners in that 40 to 60 million dollar range. Um, that would have been the average if you averaged three years. But yeah. So how many people would you have employed? Look, in construction, you have some seasonal workers, but anywhere from the 50 to 80 range at max, probably an average of 60 to 70 on any given year. Which is a lot for a community, right? Yeah, yeah. Look at Moncton's 110, 120,000 people. Atlantic Canada as a whole, maybe just under 2 million. So you, know, you leave from Moncton, you drive six hours in every direction. There's only 2 million people. It's it's not a big region. Yeah. yeah. So there's comes with that too, I think, a certain responsibility to make sure you have strong succession and that the company does well. Because, you know, if you were to close your doors, all of a sudden 80 people in that community, it would be devastated, right? Correct. Yeah. So what are some of the interesting things that really kind of sparked, uh, because your platform is about um, ensuring that 
um, if you haven't started planning and succession planning, like start yesterday. And and what are some of the interesting things about the family dynamics and, and things that you discovered or learned that you knew you had to pass on, like that you had to start talking to people about? So I'm fortunate to be part of an organization called YPO uh, that some people may or may not know. And YPO is built on um, try to work on a better you and then you know, better family situation and a better business, kind of that those three legs. And earlier on after um, my father had passed, we had hired a gentleman by the name John Fast, I think from the Toronto area. And his approach to us, of course, we're still raw. Father had passed away. Don't know where we're going. I do believe he had some training in the religious pastor type role. And his, I, I remember a couple of meetings in my mom's old living room, was to get us to the root of our emotions. How do you feel about you know, your dad not being there? Uh, somebody else running the company. And, and, and you know, that trickles and percolates. And of course, that's uncomfortable for family that hadn't hit those notes of um, you feel it's fair, you feel it's equal. And of course, a parent, and I'm learning it now with my three children, you're only as happy as your least happiest child, right? So if you look at our mother, she's trying to get family unity and keep us together. And some of us are trying to build a career and where do we go? And you're missing that mentor leader as a father. So, you know, fast forward from the John Fast years to go into YPO, the training that I got with being in that organization is you know, look at yourself. What can you learn? What, what sets your button off? But, you know, you realize you're in control of your buttons. So nobody's setting your button off other than you're letting people push your buttons because you want to react. So going through all of that, you start to realize that we're all human. We all have baggages to deal with. It's not easy and comfortable to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I really shit the bed in that discussion or that moment or, or that five minutes with my child. Maybe I was looking too much at my phone and they just really wanted to talk. So that's a hard thing to have. But if you take that and you go to the family business, then your siblings, their kids, their significant others, what's happening in their world, their friends, everything else. You just notice the hard conversation. It's not about lawyers and accountants in terms of succession. It's about family unity, discussions. And I know we've talked about it before, and look, I didn't come up with this. I think my dad and my uncle used to say, you have a choice to make. You can be right or you can be happy, but you can't be both. And you know, when you go to lawyers and accountants, that's about being right. It's on a document. If this happens, you're going to have a shotgun clause, or it's going to your sister or your brother, and you're going to pay. But happiness, that's not on paper. That's through discussions and hard discussions, right? I think it's an ancient proverb proverb uh look i could be misquoting it but the struggle is the journey so in a family business yeah struggling is emotions discussions pissing off your sister your brother your mom saying something you shouldn't have pissing off the significant other how do you come back from that how do you have a discussion and uh yeah so it's it just that continuous journey of learning and and that we're people yeah we're not perfect yeah, for sure. And it's probably amplified in a family business because, you know, of all of the families, when we think about all of the families, there's so much that 
we don't deal with just as a family, never mind bringing that mm. into a family business, right? Mm -hmm. And you have those certain personality types in every family that, you know, this sibling always gets away with everything or the perception they always get away with everything. This one is always, oh, they can do no wrong. This one's a gaslighter. This one, you know, and not that every family has every one of those personality types, but, you know, you get them one or the other of them in, in families with multiple kids, obviously. So it's a little bit of a minefield sometimes, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. And look, there are books on the birth order, right? If you're first, second, middle child, last child. And I know that if, if you'd interview my wife, she said, I remember early days when we started you know, recording, we'd go out and we went on a few family vacations. said, just checking into a hotel where the four of you would run to the front desk. Who's going to check us in? Who's going to, like, it was a competition on who's going to, we're checking into a hotel, folks. Like, this, but, you know, yeah, you're, you're trying to uh, add value, be part of it, just control the situation. Oh, yeah, no, we're, we were in our younger years, 4A type that wanted to be right and wanted to be in charge and wanted to be happy. And that's just yeah, part of growing up and learning. So, yeah. so how, how many, so of the four kids? Correct. Yeah. So how many have been consistently in, in the family business and how, and are there siblings that have never been in the family business? So we have two family businesses, the, the construction one, uh, my sister was there first, her twin joined and left well, early 2000s, uh, went back to a career of HR in a bigger corporation. Uh, my sister, I bought out 2015, 2016. So now she's, you know, she's done her ICD course. She's on a few boards, uh, a smart uh, uh, a woman that I admire and respect. So she's charted her path elsewhere. She likes the whole governance. So right now in the construction, it's just myself. And however, the four of us are a quarter owner of our uh, properties division so that's where the family meetings occur and that's where we spend time together and that's where we're trying to find the next step and of course i think you and i have talked about it before how we treat each other siblings is how our kids look at how to model how they will treat themselves in the future so there's a little bit of that on how do we set the right stage that the next generation after us have a better chance of success with less friction learning and 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 could just platform from there and jump off so that's kind of where we are now yeah and we've also talked about um the different um the different things that are important to each sibling as far as mm -hmm. legacy and what does success look like correct things that some people might never think about is that they might have a different feeling of or definition of success for the family business or what mm -hmm. they want the legacy to be if that's important to them correct for some people it's the family name for some people it's how we give back to the community in terms of charitable organizations or donations for some people it's just you know the emotions tied to the whole history and legacy and for some people me it'd be how can i learn how can i grow what's next Right, that 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 quest for experience, knowledge, learning, meeting people. So yeah, we all wear a different vision or lens on what the success look like. 
right? So I would have my interpretation and the stories I tell myself about what my siblings want, but that would just be my take on if they would probably say, no, you're off a bit. So, right, we all tell ourselves stories, which plays little tricks on us. It's true. It's true. And what do you think your dad is saying, looking down on where all of his kids are today and where the company is at? I don't know. And when you ask that, I remember after my dad passed, because he had a brother who was really close. And my uncle came to me and said, David, the family is going to need you. Now, knowing my dad, he probably told my uncle to say that. Maybe not. Maybe my uncle had the, the wherewithal to say it. But I'm pretty sure that comment was said to all the other three siblings as well. <laughs> right? <laughs> Right? I'm pretty sure that there was kind of that uh, make sure you tell them all this message for me, uh, dear brother, before, you know, just to make sure that that, that gets together. Because you know, I don't know all the story of their family generation, but I, I can remember a few hearing stories that sometimes there's family challenges within their family as well. So I think that was important for him for, for unity. Can't prove it, but I'm thinking that's what happened. He told yeah. all of us that the rest of your siblings will need you. <laughs> so, which is pretty smart message to do, right? Yeah, but don't tell the rest I said that. <laughs> no, that's right. That's right. Don't, 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 uh, don't spill the marbles. Yeah, because it'll upset them. Mm. Uh, he'd probably be pretty proud, I think, though. I think so. I mean, when, when you look at where we are, we're all successful. We're all happy. We live in Canada. It's a great country. We all have kids. We have our health. Our mom's still around at age 75. So that's fantastic. Still in great shape. And we still try to take family trips together. So that's good. And you still meet once a year? Uh, we meet once a quarter. But a with quarter. Uh, the current pandemic, some of the meetings are through Zoom, of course, depending on the lockdowns. But the last meeting before Christmas was in person. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Before the the tidal wave that we call but it. It's tough, eh? Because when, when you see your siblings on the weekends, what do you do most of the time? You work in your business. What do you talk about? Business. And some family members don't want to talk business on nights and weekends. But that's what you spent 40 hours, 60 hours, 80 hours that week doing. So... That's all you got to talk about versus some just want to build a relationship. Some just want to know if you had a great day or what was the best coffee you had this week or whatever, right? Whatever's on top of their mind. So it's that balance. Yeah. That's difficult. It is, but important, mm -hmm. right? Because it's both, both, you need both sides of the coin. So what would be your best piece of advice that you would say to anyone who has a family business or is thinking about starting a family business um, that's in a family business and or maybe deciding whether they want to get into the family business and uh, any of the above what would be your best piece of advice to them knowing what you know now i would say start early and by you know somebody say what do you want me to start early conversations emotions what's important for you what does fair look like? You know, you're not going to get equality of outcome for sure because we're all built differently. We all marry, not marry, have kids, don't have kids, live in your hometown, live somewhere else. So um, have discussions. Just talk about, you know, it may not be around tomorrow. So you know, 
what's important for you guys and how do we make sure that it keeps going or do we sell it? And then, so just start early with discussions, but not the discussions of process, discussions of emotions, relationships. Look, some families may not like their siblings. Sure, just get that on the table and keep going. So if you're a parent, if you start early to talk to your kids and maybe get them involved somehow, uh, get them educated, different experiences. If you're a sibling, there's a great um, uh, book by Shirzad Charmin. Uh, it's like Positive Intelligence or, or, or PQ. And in it, one of the lessons is no matter how much you think the other person is wrong, it's probably 10% right. So if you're a sibling going into the fight for your part of the blanket or corner or whatever, just come in thinking, ah, there's at least 10% something valid with what Leanne is telling me today. Even though I don't agree and I want to be president, but she wants to be president, there's probably some truth to that. So listen, right? Just use your empathy. Most of the time, your siblings don't want the worst for you. Most of the time, but I don't know. I don't know all the families out there. Yeah, you might be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing crazier than families, David. Yeah. And what 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 would you say is the best piece of advice you ever received? And it could be related to family business. It could be related to life. It could be related to business. Oh my God, that's interesting. I should have put some thought into it. Um, so right now, my biggest concern is, of course, my children. And this pandemic, I think, has challenged uh, our education system, and they may or may not have had the best uh, learning. So when you say uh, best piece of advice, maybe eight years ago, I had a, a friend of mine that said, um, when I started having kids, David, prepare your child for the path and not path for your child. So... I don't have in the back of my mind that my kids will take over, right? right? But if they want to learn business, let's get them into business course. Maybe they buy a stock and do trading at, you know, on a $500 portfolio just to learn about losses. Um, we just did a YPO finance course for teenagers with my daughters this week. So right. just, I'm not telling them you're going to run our company or you're going to get shares. I'm just getting them part of the skill set to see if business is something they want to do. So I would say that piece of advice, you know, prepare the child for the path, whatever that path is. Yeah. And, and I think that's the one because I've heard you say it a few times. And yeah. I, I think that must be that one because there's usually a foundational um, something that you always think about, whether it's, you know, sometimes something that's about life generally or like I, for some reason, and mine's random, but it's but it came from my dad and it's, and I think, I don't know why I think about it all the time, but um, I always used to be the type of person I would get, I was re get really upset if I thought someone didn't like me for no good reason. And he'd always say, darling, you could be the biggest, sweetest, juiciest peach, but some people just don't like peaches. Yeah. So, and I, I always think of that. And it's just like some people just aren't going to like you for whatever reason. So just accept it or things that aren't meant for you. Don't worry about them. 
you know, it is, it's a hard thing to accept, right? My, my grandmother passed away when I was two, but from the stories from my cousins and other people, she had a saying, I'll say it in French and I'll try to translate it, which translate to, you'll shovel the snow once it's fallen, which means don't stress about it till it's right in front of you, you got to deal with it, right? Yeah. So a little bit of that, yeah. Yeah, and don't lose today worrying about tomorrow. Yeah, kind of the same message. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, if you were to think back to when you were 18, what piece of advice would you give yourself, your 18-year-old self? Oh, God. Be more adventurous. More experience. Go out there. You weren't, ex you weren't adventurous, you don't think? Well, I mean, I did go to the States, but I didn't go to Europe till a few years later. I didn't go to you know, South Africa or South America yet. So you know, go learn, go on journeys, just, just try to fail more. Expand your world. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good piece of advice, actually. So what surprised you? And I just want to come back to the full circle here. So sure. What surprised you most about the sort of the journey for your thought leadership journey? So when I know when we first started talking about passion and, and you know, once we define passion for people, I think it's more clear um, sort of what puts a fire in your belly. But you're really passionate about um, while well, you care about other family businesses and the impact they have on on their communities and and the impact it has on families. And was there anything in that, because obviously the, you know, it's your passion and your expertise and your credibility, all of which you built since you started working in the family business and going through this process. But was there anything surprising on that journey that like, did you kind of, when we started talking, did you think that that's sort of where you would land or? It's oh, no, I, I remember you and Alan talking to me and saying, and I don't know if your eyes would per perk up or you'd be saying, oh, that's interesting. So that knowledge and that lived experience to me is just you know, like tying your shoes in the morning. It makes no sense that you guys are finding that interesting. So yeah. that early journey where it hit, hit home when, when I, you know, recollection, um, when I joined YPO, my first event was in Miami and it was a construction industry round table. And you go there for two and a half days, three days. And, you know, I met a few people and I was leaving uh, the hotel, I forget the name of it, going to the airport. And there's another fella who's probably 10 years older than me, Adam Valley. Uh, he would be uh, from India. He's an American, but his parents are still, you know, they're immigrants. And uh, he worked in California. And I said, uh, you're going to the airport? Yeah, I'll jump in with you. And on the drive back from the airport, we started talking about our family business, our siblings, or, oh, his parents, my mom. And I'm like, I'm not the only one. This guy that lives in California, that his parents immigrated from India, has the same challenges I have, or very similar. And then I started connecting to the YPO Family Business Network. And then you notice that you know, a third, if not more, of the businesses in YPO are family business. Everybody's got these challenges, right? So... I started drinking that Kool-Aid or having discussions with other family business owners across the country, across the world. 
And it's all based on emotions and misunderstandings and maybe our egos getting in the way and our perceptions and the stories we tell ourselves. It's all about communication, understanding, being patient. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's not that different from any family situation or any other entrepreneurial business situation, just more delicate, right? Yeah. I remember a friend of mine told me, you know that saying, uh, what your clients and clients, uh, uh, clients always right, I think was a saying a while back. I had a friend of mine, uh, Elk, he said, David, I prefer to say, you know, a client's always a client. They may not always be right, but it's your choice if you want them as a client or not. But fortunately, in family business, a family member is a family member. You, you don't get easily to say, I don't want you to be my family member anymore. I'm sure some people do it, but if family unity and, and you want your cousins and your kids to get together, you can't take that approach. So it, it's not like clients that you can fire clients. And maybe most of us have had those or fire, fire consultant, family members. That's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, because you can't fire your family. I mean, you could try, I suppose, but probably wouldn't go so well. Yeah, well, then you're into the, you want to be right category versus you want to be happy. Right? Exactly, exactly. So it's, it's really managing your emotions, right? Mm-hmm. And, and really learning how to work things out. So YPO has, has that been a good support for you in this journey? Oh, phenomenal. And, and just to be on that continuous journey of wanting to learn, growing, being able to tell you, you know, I could go to my form and say, I can't believe my brother said this or sister said that or my cousin or my coworker. And, you know, those people that are in your form will look at you and say, hmm, David, sometimes you could be a little bit of, you know, stubborn. You always think you're right. <laughs> you know, if I had to take side, I think the person you're pissed off with has, uh, it's a good chance they're right on that one. And then you're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, I love your brother, but uh, you're, you know, they're not the problem right now. I think it's your perception and how you're dealing with it. So having that as a sounding board to just realign you when you don't have your father or somebody that will speak the truth to you. Yeah, that's invaluable. Yeah, it, they're a good mirror, mm-hmm. right? And they'll always be honest. So yeah, it's, um, it's a great organization. So, okay, one last question. Sure. If... I'm just deciding which one. Okay. So if you were running a campaign to Mm -hmm. rule the world. Oh my God. Okay. What would your slogan be? The entire world. The entire world. Obviously fictitious. Oh my God. My slogan. I don't know uh, what came to mind is we owe it to the next generation. That's good. That's good. No, it's because usually something that big comes down to a core belief or a value, right? If you're looking at geopolitics now with China and Russia and different countries, like there's a lot of conflict, right? In terms of the, world food source and distribution and healthcare and all that. So if you come in with, we owe it to the next generation, I think it pivots your mindset to, you know, 
the kids are after us and they got to figure out how to get off this rock and make sure humanity keeps being what we are. Yeah. The, I mean, there was a, there's a question that I was going to ask, but it, I mean, I, I feel like it's obvious, but it's an, it's a, this or that question, which is, would you rather be the hero that saved the world or the villain that controlled the world? Well, I'm pretty sure it's the hero that saved the world. Exactly. Right. So it's, it's just, it's, so to me, it's kind of obvious, which is why I didn't ask it, but it's, I think in some mindsets, people would rather, what's happening right now is that there's the villain that would rather control the world and that's the mindset and that's the problem, right? Mm. So, and you know, that translates into everything, into business, into, you know, whatever. But I mean, I think in North America, maybe we're not built like that, but in no. other, in other countries, certainly they are so however if you really needed an uber villain to unite the world to get to the other side you know, there's an argument to play that role too to, but i think there's enough of them out there that we're not we're not doing what you're recommending but then you wouldn't be a villain mm, fair enough like that snidely whiplash mm -hmm. <laughs> i can't believe i just said that <laughs> okay david thank you it's been fun well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you guys asked me to be on, on this podcast. Appreciate it. And people can get a hold of you currently through either your YouTube channel or which will be on your LinkedIn page, which is under okay. your name. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, David. <laughs>